Reading 16. Introduction to Financial Statement Analysis. Welcome to today's podcast on the topic of financial reporting and analysis. As a CFA candidate, it's essential to understand the role of financial reporting, which is to provide users with valuable information about a company's financial performance and position. This information is then used in financial statement analysis to support economic decisions. The financial statements include the statement of financial position, balance sheet, which shows a company's assets, liabilities, and equity at a point in time. The statement of comprehensive income reflects a company's business activities over a period, including revenues, costs, and resulting profit or loss. The statement of changes in equity reports changes in the equity owner's investment in the company, and the statement of cash flows presents a summary of the sources and uses of cash over a period. To gain a deeper understanding of a company's financial statements, analysts should review the footnotes and supplementary schedules. These disclosures contain important information about accounting methods, estimates, and assumptions. They also include details of segment results, legal proceedings, employee benefit plans, acquisitions, divestitures, and stock options. Management's discussion and analysis offer an overview of the company, including business trends, liquidity, significant events, and accounting methods requiring management judgment. It provides additional information to help analysts understand a company's financial position. Audits of financial statements aim to provide an independent opinion on their fairness and reliability. The auditor's opinion can be unqualified, clean, qualified, adverse, or a disclaimer of opinion. Management is responsible for maintaining an effective internal control system to ensure the accuracy of the financial statements. Analysts can also use a company's quarterly and semi-annual reports, proxy statements, press releases, and earnings guidance to gain a better understanding of its financial position. External sources of information, such as industry and peer company data, can also be useful. To analyze financial statements effectively, analysts should follow a six-step framework. These steps include stating the objective of the analysis, gathering data, processing the data, analyzing and interpreting the data, reporting the conclusions or recommendations, and updating the analysis. In conclusion, financial reporting and analysis are essential for making informed economic decisions. By understanding the role of financial reporting and following a structured framework for analysis, analysts can gain valuable insights into a company's financial position. Top of Form Reading 17. Financial Reporting Standards. Welcome to this podcast on financial reporting and analysis. In this episode, we will discuss the important concepts covered in Low 17 of the CFA curriculum. The primary objective of financial statements is to provide useful information to economic decision makers about a firm's financial performance and changes in financial position. Reporting standards ensure that different firms' financial statements are comparable to one another and provide reasonable estimates on which they are based. The International Accounting Standards Board, IASB, and the Financial Accounting Standards Board, FASB, are the two primary standard-setting bodies that establish financial reporting standards. Regulatory authorities, 
such as the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States and the Financial Conduct Authority in the United Kingdom, enforce compliance with financial reporting standards. The IFRS conceptual framework for financial reporting defines the fundamental and enhancing qualitative characteristics of financial statements, specifies the required reporting elements, and notes the constraints and assumptions involved in preparing financial statements. The fundamental characteristics of financial statements are relevance and faithful representation, while the enhancing characteristics include comparability, verifiability, timeliness, and understandability. The required financial statements are the balance sheet, comprehensive income statement, cash flow statement, statement of changes in owner's equity, and explanatory notes. The general features of financial statements include fair presentation, accrual accounting, consistency, materiality, no offsetting, reporting frequency, comparative information, and aggregation. An analyst should be aware of evolving financial reporting standards and new products and innovations that generate new types of transactions. That concludes our discussion on financial reporting and analysis. We hope that this episode helped you revise the important concepts covered in Low 17 of the CFA curriculum. Thank you for tuning in. Reading 18. Understanding Income Statements. Hello and welcome to the CFA Revision Podcast. Today, we'll be covering the key concepts related to financial statements and their analysis. Firstly, the income statement shows an entity's revenues, expenses, gains, and losses during a reporting period. The statement can be presented in either a multi-step or single-step format, with the former providing a subtotal for gross profit. Expenses on the income statement can be grouped by nature or by function, such as with expenses grouped into cost of goods sold. Moving on to revenue recognition, it is recognized when earned, and expenses are recognized when incurred. The accounting standards outline a five-step process for recognizing revenue, which includes identifying contracts with customers, identifying performance obligations, determining transaction price, allocating the transaction price, and recognizing revenue when or as the entity satisfies a performance obligation. The choice of revenue recognition method depends on several factors such as progress towards completion of a performance obligation, variable considerations, and their likelihood of being earned, revisions to contracts, and whether the firm is acting as a principal or an agent in a transaction. The matching principle requires that firms match revenues recognized in a period with the expenses required to generate them. This principle can be seen in accounting for inventory where cost of goods sold is the cost of units sold from inventory included in current period revenue. We then move on to depreciation and inventory valuation methods. Depreciation methods include straight line and declining balance methods, while inventory valuation methods include FIFO, LIFO, average cost, and specific identification. Intangible assets with limited lives should be amortized using a method that reflects the flow over time of their economic benefits. Users of financial data should analyze the reasons for any changes in estimates of expenses and compare these estimates with those of peer companies. Lastly, we have results of discontinued operations and unusual or infrequent items. The former is reported below income from continuing operations, net of tax, from the date the decision to dispose of the operations is made, 
while the latter is reported before tax and above income from continuing operations. Changes in accounting standards, methods applied, and corrections of accounting errors require retrospective restatement of all prior period financial statements included in the current statement. On the other hand, a change in an accounting estimate is applied prospectively with no restatement of prior period results. That's it for this podcast. I hope this revision session has been helpful. Thank you for tuning in. Top of form. Hello and welcome to the CFA podcast. Today we will be revising some important concepts from level I, specifically from the financial reporting and analysis section. Firstly, let's discuss operating income. Operating income is generated from a firm's normal business operations. Income from investing or financing transactions is classified as non-operating income for a non-financial firm, but for a financial firm, it is considered operating income as their business operations include investing and financing securities. Moving on to diluted EPS, when a company has potentially dilutive securities, it must report diluted EPS. This includes convertible preferred stock, convertible debt, warrants, or stock options that are dilutive. A dilutive security is one that would decrease EPS if converted to its common stock equivalent, while an anti-dilutive security is one that would not reduce EPS if converted to its common stock equivalent. The next concept we will cover is the common size income statement. This expresses each item as a percentage of revenue and is useful for trend analysis and comparisons with peer firms. Two popular profitability ratios are gross profit margin and net profit margin, and a firm can often achieve higher profit margins by differentiating its products from the competition. Moving on to comprehensive income, this is the sum of net income and other comprehensive income. It measures all changes to equity other than those from transactions with shareholders. Transactions with shareholders, such as dividends paid and shares issued or repurchased, are not reported on the income statement. Other comprehensive income includes gains and losses from foreign currency translation, pension obligation adjustments, unrealized gains and losses from cash flow hedging derivatives, and unrealized gains and losses on available for sale securities. And that's it for today's podcast. We hope this revision has been helpful for you. If you have any questions or would like further clarification, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Thank you for tuning in, and we wish you the best of luck in your studies. Top of form. Reading 19. Understanding Balance Sheets. Hello and welcome to the CFA podcast where we will be revising the key concepts related to balance sheet reporting. Let's begin by understanding the three fundamental components of the balance sheet, assets, liabilities, and equity. Assets are resources that are expected to provide future economic benefits, while liabilities represent obligations that require an outflow of economic resources. Equity is the residual interest in the assets after deducting liabilities. To be recognized on the balance sheet, a financial statement item should have a future economic benefit or cost that can be measured reliably. However, it's important to note that the balance sheet does not represent market value or intrinsic value for most firms, as it includes a mixture of values such as historical cost, amortized cost, and fair value. Additionally, 
some assets and liabilities are challenging to quantify and may not be reported on the balance sheet. The balance sheet can be used to assess a company's liquidity, solvency, and ability to pay dividends to shareholders. A classified balance sheet separately reports current and non-current assets and liabilities, while liquidity-based presentations report assets and liabilities in order of liquidity. Current assets and liabilities refer to those that are expected to be used up or settled within one year or the company's operating cycle, whichever is greater. Cash equivalents are short-term, highly liquid financial assets that are readily convertible to cash. Accounts receivable are reported at net realizable value by estimating bad debt expense. Inventories are reported at the lower of cost or net realizable value, IFRS, or the lower of cost or market, USGAAP. Property, plant, and equipment, PPNE, can be reported using the cost model or the revaluation model under IFRS. Under USGAAP, only the cost model is allowed. Intangible assets created internally are expensed as incurred, while purchased intangibles are reported similar to PPNE. Goodwill is the excess of purchase price over the fair value of the identifiable net assets acquired in a business acquisition. It must be tested for impairment at least annually but is not amortized. Under IFRS, debt securities acquired with the intent to hold them to maturity are measured at amortized cost, while debt securities acquired with the intent to sell in the near term, as well as equity securities and derivatives, are measured at fair value through profit and loss. Under USGAAP, held to maturity securities are reported at amortized cost, while trading securities, available for sale securities, and derivatives are reported at fair value. To summarize, the balance sheet is a crucial financial statement that provides insights into a company's financial health. By understanding the components of the balance sheet, we can assess a company's liquidity, solvency, and ability to pay dividends to shareholders. Hello and welcome to the CFA Podcast. Today we will be revising some important concepts from Level I, specifically from the Financial Reporting and Analysis section. Firstly, let's discuss owner's equity, which includes contributed capital, preferred stock, treasury stock, retained earnings, non-controlling, minority, interest, and accumulated other comprehensive income. The statement of changes in stockholders' equity summarizes the transactions during a period that increase or decrease equity, including transactions with shareholders. Moving on to the common size balance sheet, this expresses each item of the balance sheet as a percentage of total assets. The common size format standardizes the balance sheet by eliminating the effects of size, allowing for comparison over time and across firms. Balance sheet ratios, along with common size analysis, can be used to evaluate a firm's liquidity and solvency. Liquidity ratios measure the firm's ability to satisfy its short-term obligations as they come due, including the current ratio, the quick ratio, and the cash ratio. Solvency ratios measure the firm's ability to satisfy its long-term obligations, including the long-term debt-to-equity ratio, the total debt-to-equity ratio, the debt ratio, and the financial leverage ratio. And that's it for today's podcast. We hope this revision has been helpful for you. If you have any questions or would like further clarification, please don't hesitate to reach out to us.
Thank you for tuning in, and we wish you the best of luck in your studies. Reading 20. Understanding Cash Flow Statements. Hello and welcome to this podcast on the cash flow statement for the CFA exam. In this episode, we will be discussing the key concepts that you need to know to master the topic. First, let's start with the basics. The cash flow statement is a financial statement that shows the inflows and outflows of cash in a company over a period of time. It is important because it helps investors and analysts understand the liquidity of a company and its ability to generate cash. The cash flow statement is divided into three main sections, cash flow from operating activities, cash flow from investing activities, and cash flow from financing activities. Cash flow from operating activities is the cash generated or used in the normal course of business. This section includes items such as sales revenue, operating expenses, and changes in working capital. Cash flow from investing activities is the cash generated or used in buying or selling long-term assets or investments. This section includes items such as purchases of property, plant, and equipment, and proceeds from the sale of investments. Cash flow from financing activities is the cash generated or used in raising or repaying capital. This section includes items such as issuance of debt or equity, repayment of debt, and payment of dividends. It's important to note that non-cash investing and financing activities, such as taking on debt to the seller of a purchased asset, are not reported in the cash flow statement but must be disclosed in the footnotes or a supplemental schedule. Under USGAAP, dividends paid are financing cash flows. Interest paid, interest received, and dividends received are operating cash flows. All taxes paid are operating cash flows. Under IFRS, dividends paid and interest paid can be reported as either operating or financing cash flows. Interest received and dividends received can be reported as either operating or investing cash flows. Taxes paid are operating cash flows unless they arise from an investing or financing transaction. There are two methods for presenting cash flow from operating activities, the direct method and the indirect method. The direct method adjusts each line item of the accrual-based income statement to get cash receipts or cash payments. The indirect method starts with net income and adjusts for transactions that affect net income but do not affect operating cash flow, such as depreciation and gains or losses on asset sales, and for changes in balance sheet items. Finally, it's important to understand that the timing of revenue or expense recognition that differs from the receipt or payment of cash is reflected in changes in balance sheet accounts. That concludes this podcast on the cash flow statement for the CFA exam. Thank you for listening, and best of luck on your exam. Welcome to this podcast on the topic of cash flow statements, as covered in the CFA curriculum. Let's start with the direct and indirect methods of calculating CFO, which is the cash flow from operating activities. The direct method involves adding up cash inflows and outflows for operating activities, such as cash collections from customers and cash paid for inputs. The indirect method starts with net income and adjusts it for gains or losses related to investing or financing cash flows, non-cash charges to income, and changes in balance sheet operating items. To convert an indirect cash flow statement to a direct one, 
we adjust each income statement account for changes in associated balance sheet accounts and eliminate non-cash and non-operating items. An analyst should focus on whether a company is generating positive operating cash flow over time that is greater than its capital spending needs and whether the company's accounting policies are causing reported earnings to diverge from operating cash flow. Now, let's talk about free cash flow to the firm, FCFF, and free cash flow to equity, FCFE. FCFF is the cash available to all investors, both equity owners and debt holders. It is calculated as net income plus non-cash charges plus cash interest paid x, 1, tax rate, minus fixed capital investment minus working capital investment. FCFE, on the other hand, is the cash flow available for distribution to common shareholders after all obligations have been paid. It is calculated as CFO minus fixed capital investment plus net borrowing. Lastly, Cash flow performance ratios and cash coverage ratios provide information about a firm's operating performance and financial strength. Cash return on equity or on assets and debt coverage or cash interest coverage are examples of such ratios. These ratios can be analyzed over time and compared to peers in the industry. That's all for this podcast on cash flow statements. I hope this helped you revise the key concepts covered in the CFA curriculum. Reading 21. Financial Analysis Techniques. Welcome to today's podcast on financial statement analysis and ratio analysis. Ratio analysis can be used to evaluate a firm's financial performance, project earnings, and future cash flow, and compare the firm with its industry competitors. There are different types of ratios used for financial analysis including activity ratios, liquidity ratios, solvency ratios, profitability ratios, and valuation ratios. Activity ratios measure how well a firm uses its assets, while liquidity ratios assess a firm's ability to meet its short-term obligations. Solvency ratios indicate a firm's ability to meet its long-term obligations, and profitability ratios measure how well a firm generates operating income and net income. Valuation ratios are used to compare the relative values of stocks. When using ratio analysis, it is important to keep in mind that ratios are not useful when viewed in isolation and require adjustments when different companies use different accounting treatments. Comparable ratios may be hard to find for companies that operate in multiple industries. It is also important to use an appropriate combination of different ratios to evaluate a company over time and relative to comparable companies. In addition to ratios, common size analysis can be used to compare different companies or different years for the same company. Vertical common size data are stated as a percentage of sales for income statements or as a percentage of total assets for balance sheets while horizontal common size data present each item as a percentage of its value in a base year. Finally, we discussed the DuPont equation, which breaks down return on equity, Rho, into three components, net profit margin, asset turnover, and financial leverage. By understanding the different components of Rho, analysts can better evaluate a company's performance and identify areas for improvement. That concludes today's podcast on financial statement analysis and ratio analysis. Remember to use ratio analysis in combination with other financial analysis tools to gain a more complete understanding of a company's financial performance. Top of Form 
Welcome to today's podcast on equity and credit analysis. Let's begin by discussing the ratios used in equity analysis, including price to earnings, price to cash flow, price to sales, and price to book value ratios, and basic and diluted earnings per share. Keep in mind that other ratios are relevant to specific industries such as retail and financial services. Moving on to credit analysis, we see that it emphasizes interest coverage ratios, return on capital, debt to assets ratios, and cash flow to total debt. These ratios are essential in determining a company's ability to pay back its debt obligations. It's also important to understand how to analyze segments of a company, which can be a portion of a firm that has risk and return characteristics distinguishable from the rest of the company and accounts for more than 10% of the firm's sales or assets. By examining the profitability, leverage, and turnover ratios by segment, we can get a better understanding of the performance of the overall business. Finally, we can use ratio analysis in conjunction with other techniques to construct pro forma financial statements based on a forecast of sales growth and assumptions about the relation of changes in key income statement and balance sheet items to growth of sales. This allows us to make informed decisions and predictions about a company's financial future. That's it for today's podcast on equity and credit analysis. Thanks for listening, and we hope you found this information helpful in your studies. Top of form. Reading 22. Inventories. Welcome to the CFA podcast on inventory costing methods. In this episode, we will discuss the different inventory cost flow methods and their impact on financial statements. First, let's talk about the costs included in inventory on the balance sheet. These costs include purchase cost, conversion costs, and other costs necessary to bring the inventory to its present location and condition. Period costs, such as abnormal waste, most storage costs, administrative costs, and selling costs, are expensed as incurred. Now, let's move on to the inventory cost flow methods. The first method is FIFO, which assumes that the cost of the first item purchased is the cost of the first item sold. Ending inventory is based on the cost of the most recent purchases, thereby approximating current cost. The second method is LIFO, which assumes that the cost of the last item purchased is the cost of the first item sold. Ending inventory is based on the cost of the earliest items purchased. LIFO is prohibited under IFRS. The third method is weighted average cost, which calculates COGS and inventory values between their FIFO and LIFO values. The fourth method is specific identification, which matches the cost of each unit sold with the unit's actual cost. Under LIFO, cost of sales reflects the most recent purchase or production costs, and balance sheet inventory values reflect older outdated costs. Under FIFO, cost of sales reflects the oldest purchase or production costs for inventory, and balance sheet inventory values reflect the most recent costs. Under the weighted average cost method, cost of sales and balance sheet inventory values are between those of LIFO and FIFO. When purchase or production costs are rising, LIFO cost of sales is higher than FIFO cost of sales, and LIFO gross profit is lower than FIFO gross profit. When purchase or production costs are falling, LIFO cost of sales is lower than FIFO cost of sales, and LIFO gross profit is higher than FIFO gross profit. 
in a periodic system, inventory values and COGS are determined at the end of the accounting period. In a perpetual system, inventory values and COGS are updated continuously. In the case of FIFO and specific identification, ending inventory values and COGS are the same whether a periodic or perpetual system is used. LIFO and weighted average cost, however, can produce different inventory values and COGS depending on whether a periodic or perpetual system is used. Lastly, we will discuss the impact of changing prices on inventory costing methods. When prices are increasing and inventory quantities are stable or increasing, LIFO inventory is lower than FIFO inventory. When prices are decreasing and inventory quantities are stable or increasing, LIFO inventory is higher than FIFO inventory. That concludes our discussion on inventory costing methods. Remember to understand the impact of these methods on financial statements and their potential limitations. Thank you for tuning into the CFA podcast. Welcome to the CFA review podcast on inventory management and LIFO and FIFO accounting methods. Let's start with LIFO, which stands for last in first out. A company reporting under LIFO must disclose a LIFO reserve, which is the difference between LIFO inventory reported and inventory had the firm used the FIFO method. This reserve will be positive during periods of rising inventory costs and negative during periods of falling inventory costs. A LIFO liquidation occurs when a firm using LIFO sells more inventory during a period than it produces, leading to an unsustainable increase in gross profit margin. To convert a firm's financial statements from LIFO to what they would have been under FIFO, there are four steps. First, add the LIFO reserve to LIFO inventory. Second, subtract the change in the LIFO reserve for the period from COGS. Third, decrease cash by LIFO reserve multiplied by the tax rate. Finally, increase retained earnings by LIFO reserve multiplied by one tax rate. Under IFRS, inventories are valued at the lower of cost or net realizable value. Inventory write UPS are allowed, but only to the extent that a previous write-down to net realizable value was recorded. Under USGAAP, inventories are valued at the lower of cost or net realizable value for companies using cost methods other than LIFO or the retail method. For companies using LIFO or the retail method, inventories are valued at the lower of cost or market. Market is usually equal to replacement cost but cannot exceed net realizable value or be less than net realizable value minus a normal profit margin. No subsequent write-up is allowed for any company reporting under USGAAP. A write-down of inventory value from cost to net realizable value will decrease inventory, assets, and equity, increase asset turnover, and the debt-to-equity ratio and the debt-to-assets ratio, and result in a loss on the income statement, which will decrease net income and the net profit margin, as well as ROA and ROE for a typical firm. Inventory turnover, days of inventory on hand, and gross profit margin can be used to evaluate the quality of a firm's inventory management. High inventory turnover together with high sales growth relative to the industry average suggests that high inventory turnover reflects greater efficiency rather than inadequate inventory. An analyst should examine inventory disclosures to determine whether the finished goods category is growing while raw materials and goods in process are declining, which may indicate decreasing demand and potential future inventory write-downs.
That's it for today's review of inventory management and LIFO and FIFO accounting methods. Good luck with your studies. Reading 23. Long-lived assets. Welcome to today's podcast where we will be discussing the accounting treatment of intangible assets and depreciation methods. Intangible assets are assets that do not have a physical form, such as patents, trademarks, and copyrights. If an intangible asset is expected to provide benefits over multiple periods, it is capitalized and its cost is expensed through the income statement over its useful life through either depreciation or amortization. Depreciation is the process of allocating the cost of a tangible asset over its useful life. The most common depreciation methods include straight line, accelerated, declining balance, and units of production. IFRS requires component depreciation, in which significant parts of an asset are identified and depreciated separately. The choice of depreciation method affects the amount of depreciation expense, net income, and ratios such as ROA and RO. In the early years of an asset's life, accelerated depreciation results in higher depreciation expense, lower net income, and lower ROA and RO compared to straight-line depreciation. Capitalization of assets results in lower expenses and higher net income in the period of acquisition, but higher expenses, depreciation or amortization, and lower net income in each of the remaining years of the asset's life. It also results in higher assets and equity and lower CFI but higher CFO. In conclusion, understanding the accounting treatment of intangible assets and depreciation methods is crucial for financial statement analysis and decision making. Top of form. Welcome to this quick podcast where we'll go over some key concepts related to the accounting treatment of tangible and intangible assets. First off, impairment charges decrease net income, assets, and equity, which results in lower ROA and ROA and higher debt-to-equity and debt-to-assets ratios for a typical firm. Upward revaluation increases assets and equity, and thereby decreases debt-to-assets and debt-to-equity ratios. A downward revaluation has opposite effects. When it comes to intangible assets with finite lives, amortization methods are the same as those for depreciation, straight line, accelerated, or units of production. The choice of amortization method will affect expenses, assets, equity, and financial ratios in exactly the same way that the choice of depreciation method will. Under IFRS, firms have the option to revalue assets based on fair value under the revaluation model. USGAAP does not permit revaluation. The impact of revaluation on the income statement depends on whether the initial revaluation resulted in a gain or loss. When it comes to asset impairments, under IFRS, an asset is impaired when its carrying value exceeds the recoverable amount, while under USGAAP, An asset is impaired if its carrying value is greater than the asset's undiscounted future cash flows. Finally, analysts can use disclosures of the historical cost, accumulated depreciation, amortization, and annual depreciation, amortization, expense to estimate average age of assets, total useful life of assets, and remaining useful life of assets. We hope this quick overview has helped refresh your memory on some key concepts related to tangible and intangible assets. Thanks for tuning in. Top of Form Reading 24 Income Taxes 
Welcome to this podcast on deferred taxes, a key topic in financial accounting for the CFA exam. Deferred taxes refer to the temporary differences that arise between the income tax expense reported in the income statement and the taxes payable reported in the tax return. When income tax expense is greater than taxes payable, a deferred tax liability is created. This occurs when revenues or gains are recognized in the income statement before they are taxable on the tax return, or expenses, or losses are tax deductible before they are recognized in the income statement. When taxes payable are greater than income tax expense, a deferred tax asset is created. This occurs when revenues or gains are taxable before they are recognized in the income statement, when expenses or losses are recognized in the income statement before they are tax deductible, or when tax loss carry forwards are available to reduce future taxable income. The balance of the deferred tax asset or liability is equal to the difference between the tax base and the carrying value of the asset or liability, multiplied by the tax rate. It's important to note that deferred tax liabilities that are not expected to reverse should be treated as equity for analytical purposes, while those that are expected to reverse should be treated as liabilities. Lastly, the income tax expense and taxes payable are related through the change in the deferred tax asset and the change in the deferred tax liability. The equation is as follows, income tax expense equals taxes payable plus the change in deferred tax liability minus the change in deferred tax asset. That's it for this podcast on deferred taxes. We hope this helped you understand the key concepts in a concise manner for your CFA exam preparation. Top of form. Hello and welcome to this podcast on the topic of deferred taxes in financial accounting. In this episode, we will cover the key concepts related to deferred taxes that are frequently tested on the CFA exams. Firstly, an asset's tax base is its value for tax purposes, which is calculated as the asset's cost minus any depreciation or amortization previously taken on the tax return. When an asset is sold, the taxable gain or loss on the sale is equal to the sale price minus the asset's tax base. Secondly, a liability's tax base is its value for tax purposes. When there is a difference between the book value of a liability on a firm's financial statements and its tax base that will result in future taxable gains or losses when the liability is settled, the firm will recognize a deferred tax asset or liability to reflect this future tax or tax benefit. Thirdly, Changes in a firm's income tax rate will impact both deferred tax assets and liabilities, as well as income tax expenses. An increase in the tax rate will increase both a firm's deferred tax liability and its income tax expense. A decrease in the tax rate will decrease both a firm's deferred tax liability and its income tax expense. Fourthly, Temporary differences are differences between the tax base and the carrying value of an asset or liability that will result in taxable amounts or deductible amounts in the future. Permanent differences are differences between taxable income and pre-tax income that will not reverse in the future. Fifthly, the measurement of deferred tax items depends on the tax rate expected to be in force when the underlying temporary difference reverses. The applicable tax may depend on how the temporary difference will be settled. If a change that leads to a deferred tax item is taken directly to equity, such as an upward revaluation, the deferred tax item should also be taken directly to equity. Sixthly, 
if it is more likely than not that some or all of a deferred tax asset will not be realized, then the deferred tax asset must be reduced by a valuation allowance. The valuation allowance is a contra account that reduces the deferred tax asset value on the balance sheet. Increasing the valuation allowance will increase income tax expense and reduce earnings. Lastly, firms are required to reconcile their effective income tax rate with the applicable statutory rate in the country where the business is domiciled. Analyzing trends in individual reconciliation items can aid in understanding past earnings trends and in predicting future effective tax rates. That concludes our discussion on deferred taxes in financial accounting. We hope this podcast has been helpful in summarizing the key concepts related to this topic. Thank you for listening and good luck with your CFA exam preparation. Top of form. Reading 25. Non-current, long-term, liabilities. Welcome to the CFA podcast. Today, we will be discussing the key concepts related to long-term debt and leasing. When a bond is issued, the book value of the bond liability is equal to the present value of the remaining future cash flows. A premium bond is reported on the balance sheet at a value greater than its face value, while a discount bond is reported on the balance sheet at less than its face value. Interest expense includes amortization of any discount or premium at issuance. When bonds are redeemed before maturity, a gain or loss is recognized equal to the difference between the redemption price and the carrying value of the bond liability at the reacquisition date. Debt covenants are restrictions on the borrower that protect the bondholder's interests, thereby reducing both default risk and borrowing costs. These covenants can include restrictions on dividend payments and share repurchases, mergers and acquisitions, and the issuance of new debt in the future. The firm discloses details about its long-term debt in the footnotes, including the nature of the liabilities, maturity dates, interest rates, call provisions, and conversion privileges, restrictions imposed by creditors, assets pledged as security, and the amount of debt maturing in each of the next five years. Lastly, leasing an asset may have advantages over purchasing, such as a smaller initial cash outflow, lower cost financing, and less risk of obsolescence. That concludes our podcast on long-term debt and leasing. Thank you for tuning in. Top of form. Welcome to this podcast on the financial reporting and analysis topic of leases, pensions, and solvency ratios in the CFA curriculum. I'm going to give you a quick overview of these concepts to help you revise them efficiently. First, let's talk about leases. There are two types of leases, finance and operating leases. Finance leases transfer the benefits and risks of ownership to the lessee, while operating leases do not. Both types of leases require the lessee to report a right-of-use asset and a lease liability on their balance sheet, with the interest portion of each lease payment reported as interest expense. For short-term leases, rent expense is reported on the income statement, and no balance sheet entries are required. Next, let's move on to pensions. A firm reports a net pension liability on its balance sheet if the fair value of the plan's assets is less than the estimated pension obligation, or a net pension asset if the fair value of the plan's assets is greater than the estimated pension obligation. Pension expense for a defined contribution pension plan is equal to the employer's contributions. Finally, we'll discuss solvency ratios, 
which measure a firm's ability to satisfy its long-term obligations. Leverage ratios, such as debt-to-assets, debt-to-capital, debt-to-equity, and financial leverage ratio, focus on the balance sheet, while coverage ratios, such as interest coverage and fixed charge coverage, focus on the income statement. In conclusion, understanding leases, pensions, and solvency ratios are important concepts in financial reporting and analysis. Remember, finance leases transfer benefits and risks of ownership, while operating leases do not. Pension reporting depends on the fair value of the plan's assets compared to its obligations. Solvency ratios measure a firm's ability to meet its long-term obligations, and leverage ratios focus on the balance sheet, while coverage ratios focus on the income statement. I hope this podcast has been helpful in revising these concepts, and good luck with your studies. Top of Form Reading 26 Financial Reporting Quality In this podcast, we'll be discussing the concept of financial reporting quality. High-quality financial reporting adheres to GAAP and is decision-useful in terms of relevance and faithful representation. Quality of reported results refers to the level and sustainability of a firm's earnings, cash flows, and balance sheet items. We'll also be discussing a spectrum for assessing financial reporting quality that considers both the quality of a firm's financial statements and the quality of its earnings. The highest quality financial reporting is compliant with GAAP and decision useful, and earnings are sustainable and adequate. On the other hand, the lowest quality financial reporting includes numbers that are fictitious or fraudulent. Managers may employ biased accounting choices, such as conservative or aggressive accounting, which can affect the company's reported earnings and financial position. Some managers use these biases to artificially smooth earnings during periods of above or below target earnings. Motivations for firm managers to issue low-quality financial reports may include pressure to meet earnings targets, increasing their compensation, or meeting the terms of debt covenants. Conditions that are often present when managers issue low-quality financial reports include weak internal controls, inadequate oversight by the board of directors, and wide ranges of acceptable accounting treatments. Overall, understanding financial reporting quality is important for investors to make informed decisions about their investments. Welcome to this podcast on financial reporting quality. In this episode, we'll cover key concepts from Learning Outcome Statement 26 of the CFA Curriculum. Regulation, Auditing, and private contracts are mechanisms that help to discipline financial reporting quality. Regulators require public companies to provide periodic financial statements, obtain independent audits, and include management commentary. However, firms selecting and paying their auditors may limit the effectiveness of auditing. Firms may attempt to influence analysts' valuations by presenting non-GAAP measures, such as earnings that exclude certain non-recurring items. IFRS and USGAAP require firms to define and explain the relevance of any non-GAAP measures and reconcile them to the most comparable IFRS or GAAP measure. Accounting choices and estimates can be used to manage earnings, including revenue recognition choices, estimates of reserves for uncollectible accounts or warranty expenses, depreciation methods, inventory cost flow methods, and related party transactions. 
Warning signs that indicate a need for closer analysis may include revenue growth out of line with comparable firms, changes in revenue recognition methods, decreases over time in turnover ratios, net income not supported by operating cash flows, capitalization decisions and depreciation methods out of line with comparable firms, fourth quarter earnings patterns not caused by seasonality, and emphasis on non-GAAP measures with minimal information and disclosure in financial reports. So, that's it for today's podcast on financial reporting quality. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope this helps you revise and reinforce these concepts. Top of Form Reading 27 Applications of Financial Statement Analysis Welcome to today's podcast on Financial Statement Analysis. Let's dive right in. First, we have the importance of analyzing trends in a company's financial ratios. By comparing a company's ratios to those of its competitors or industry average ratios, we can gain valuable insights into its business strategy. Next, forecasting future income and cash flows is crucial for making investment decisions. This involves estimating sales growth, profit margins, and increases in working capital and fixed assets needed to support that growth. Credit analysis is another important aspect of financial statement analysis. It involves assessing a firm's creditworthiness based on its scale, diversification, operational efficiency, margin stability, and financial leverage. To identify potentially attractive equity investments, analysts often use ratio screening. This involves setting minimum or maximum values for specific ratios and analyzing companies that meet those criteria. Lastly, accounting differences between companies can create comparability issues when analyzing financial statements. To address this, adjustments may need to be made, such as converting LIFO ending inventory to a FIFO basis by adding the LIFO reserve or adjusting LIFO cost of goods sold to a FIFO basis by subtracting the change in the LIFO reserve. That's it for today's podcast on financial statement analysis. Thanks for tuning in. Top of Form